Peace be with you. I want you guys to keep the same energy that y'all had when y'all were clapping for me when Paul was introducing me via some amens. I would love that. So I'm D'Amico Bivens, as Paul has already introduced. Uh, we are one of two. I'm one of two of your newest church playing residents. Of course, me and Raph have preached here before, moved here from Mississippi about six months ago to be a part of God's redemptive plan to reach a global and diverse city with the gospel. Uh, my beautiful wife, Andrea, is here with me, along with our two beautiful children, Makai and Mila. Makai, I'm sure, is giving them uh, trouble in the back. Uh, he is full of energy, but he's my son. I love him dearly. Uh, so Raph and I will co-plant a church together, meaning that we will work together uh, to, to plant a church as God is building his church to be a part of that. Raph and I have known each other since ninth grade. We played football together in high school, went to the same junior college playing football. If you look at Raph and I both, you will realize that our dreams of NFL stardom were short-lived. Uh, so... <laughs> <laughs> Needless to say, but I want to be quick to express my gratitude for people who brought us meals, pray for us. If you are praying for us, if you're supporting us financially, I just want to be quick to, to say that my family and I are grateful uh, for, for you doing that. So as we are approaching Isaiah 52, I want to get a little bit of background to help our, our sermon takes make a little more sense. So we're going to do a little bit of background information, pray, and then we'll dive into the Word. So a lot is going on in the life of the people of God in the book of Isaiah. So Isaiah's a prophet. Isaiah is inspired by the Word of God. He predicts the future of God's people. The future included judgment, hope, peace, and restoration. Chapters 1 through 39, Paul was here last week, and he talked a little bit about the judgment. 1 through 39 talks a lot about judgment. Isaiah tells the people of God that they would fall to Babylon. This prediction came true 100 years after the life of Isaiah. So from this, we get to deduce that Isaiah is a true prophet. We can trust his word. Throughout the book of Isaiah, we see several times throughout the book of Isaiah that God is on a mission to bless the nations. He's on a mission to bless the nations. And we see a glimpse of this in Isaiah, a little bit before our text, Isaiah 49. God told Israel to be a light to the nations. He, he tells them, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel I will make you a light to the nations, for my salvation may reach the end of the earth. In Isaiah 49, 13 through 14, God tells the people of God to sing for joy. The Lord has comforted his people. But Zion said, God's people said, the Lord has forsaken me. In exile, Israel felt forgotten. They said, God doesn't pay attention to us anymore. In fact, God has ignored us. How does God respond to these accusations? In Isaiah 49, 15, God assures his people that he hasn't forgotten them. God says that a nursing mother, nursing her child, or the son of her womb might be forgotten, but God will never forget his people. In fact, we see a theme throughout Isaiah that God will redeem a people to reach the nations through the Messianic King. 
God will redeem a people to reach the nations through the messianic king. So God is going to do a new thing. God wants to physically liberate Israel from exile so that he can spiritually liberate the nations. God wants to use Israel so that salvation may reach the ends of the earth. But historically, if you know anything about God's people, they are disobedient, as are we. So what does God do? We read about God raising up a servant also in Isaiah. In chapters 49 through 55, you read about this servant being raised up to fulfill God's mission. And he will do exactly what God's people failed to do. They failed to be a light to the nations. But God's servant will do this. This servant is given the title Israel. Israel is empowered by God's Spirit and announces God's kingdom over all the nations. And this servant sounds a lot like the Messianic king talked about in Isaiah 9 and chapters 9 and chapters 11. We read about this servant. This servant will be rejected and beaten and killed by his own people. As he is beaten and rejected, he is dying on behalf of the people. His death is an atonement for the people's sins. God's people in exile would know a lot about sacrificial deaths. Animals were sacrificed to show the people of God how God feels about our sin and the serious nature of our sin. Every time an animal is sacrificed, as the blood is spilled, they would think about the serious nature of their sin, but other animals would need to be sacrificed. We would talk about the death of another, the lamb, who when he died, he said that it is finished. Let's pray, and we'll dive into our word together. God, you hear us. <laughs> you tell us that if we seek you, you will find us. You are not far from us. God, you are near to us. God, you are drawing men and women to yourself. God, help me to get out of the way of that. God, would you be made big and mighty in this place? God, would you make much of yourself despite my inadequacies and my weaknesses? Would you be lifted high? God, encourage those who need encouraging. Strengthen those who are weak, meet needs on today perform miracles on today. God, do something that you've never done in the life of your people on today. God, in the way that only you can get glory out of it. In Jesus' name, amen. So, we've already read a little bit of the sermon text, so we'll get quickly to it. So, the theme that I talked about, that God will redeem a people to reach the nations through the Messianic King. So, God is on a mission to reach the nations. The, the Lord wanted to use His covenant people to do this. Israel, like they had been in the past, were disobedient and were unfaithful to the mission of God. So, God uses His people for His mission, and He talks about the feet of those who will be used for this mission the text starts by saying, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings the good news. The feet that are talking about it are committed to the mission of God. They are committed to reach the nations. They are out partnering with God for the salvation of men and women. 
The feet are active, steadily pushing the kingdom of God into enemy territory, offering hope wherever they go. Those messengers uh, who had those beautiful feet would bring good news. They would publish peace. They would bring good news of happiness, as the text says. They will publish salvation. Who says to Zion, the text says, your God reigns. Your God reigns. The good news, the news of peace, happiness, and salvation can all be summed up in the glorious proclamation, your God reigns. Where God reigns, peace reigns. Where God reigns, happiness reigns. Where God reigns, salvation reigns. God is bringing good news through those committed to his mission We see watchmen mentioned in verse 8, they were committed to the mission of God. They were committed to announcing good news and to praying. That's what watchmen did. A couple of their duties was to announce good news and to pray. As long as messengers approached the city of God, the watchmen would announce the good news that the king is returning. God also assigned watchmen to pray. The job of the watchman was to not allow God to rest. All day and night, the watchmen were to pray, never being silent. They were to put God in remembrance of his promises. They would pray bold prayers, demanding that God would bring his promises in full. They would pray prayers like, God, you promised that you would fight for us, and we only need to be still. God, you promised that you would never leave us or forsake us. I won't be afraid. I won't be discouraged. I can imagine for the watchmen that their prayers in in exile felt more like a duty than a delight. I know for me, I've prayed prayers for a long time, wondering if God could hear me, petitioning, petitioning that God would act on my behalf. For a time, I believed that God couldn't hear me, but I was reminded that God can answer us with a yes, and it is sometimes a no. But I have to remember in those moments, like the text says, that God reigns. God knows what's best for me. God told the watchman also in the Scripture we read that he told them to lift their voices, to sing for joy the return of the Lord to Zion. In exile, they will be ready to witness the release of their people from captivity and see the prophecy that Isaiah spoke be accomplished, remembering the prayers that they once prayed, hoping that God would free them from exile. God also invited the waste places, the waste places to break forth together in singing So, if you know anything about the exile and the city of God, the city had not wholly been destroyed. Only the temple, the royal palace, and the houses of the nobles had been burnt with fire. The poorer houses had been left. Even these, however, must, in the space of 50 years, have for the most part falling into decay. The ruins of these cities were now called to join in a general chorus of rejoicing as they would rise from their ashes, as they were singing new songs. 
in the New Testament, the second half of the Bible, a verse in 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 9, could describe how the people in exile might have felt. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. There were still hope for these people of God. While they were invited to sing, you see that God was working. The imagery in verse 10 alludes to the work that God was doing. God has bared his holy arm. The thought beginning in Isaiah 51 and 9, if you go there and read, it says, Awake, awake, put on strength, O Lord, O arm of the Lord. This verse is completed in verse 10. It says, the Lord has shown his strength, the strength of the holy arm. The strength of the holy arm, the expression borrowed from his holy, holy arm is a Hebrew expression derived from the rolling up of one's sleeves. Loose sleeves before starting to work, the arm was then barred, the symbol of a mighty work being undertaken. We see God working mightily, not only for his covenantal people, but also for the nations. So, before the eyes of the nations, before the eyes of the nation, all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of God. God does not make his saving strength known only for those who are immediately rescued. He also does it as a witness and a testimony to others so that they can see the salvation of our God. How is God going to provide salvation to the nations? God is going to physically liberate Israel so that one day he can spiritually liberate the nations. He does this in a way that only God does. God raises up Persia to conquer Babylon so that the Israelites could come back to fulfill Isaiah's word. We see God keeping his promises over and over again in Scripture, and he, did, he does this again through Isaiah's prophecies so that Israel and the world can know that Israel's God is the true God of history. We'll look quickly at Isaiah 52, 11 through 12 to see the six words that long awaited God's people. It says, depart, depart, go out from there. So God's people will be exiles no more. God is saying, you have a home with me. Prophetically, this is both a near and distant application. It was intended for the Babylonian captives Isaiah prophesied to, but it was also intended for us to read today. Those who are called by God today. It was a call to separate themselves from Babylon, both literally and spiritually. It was a call to purity for those who bear the vessels of the Lord. 2 Timothy 2 and 21 has a wonderful promise for those vessels of the Lord who pursue purity. It says in 2 Timothy 2, 21, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel, vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the matter of the house, be ready for every good work. So God is calling his exiled people to leave Babylon as pilgrims, staking everything on the promises of God. They are to leave, but leave like God is with them. 
It says that they should go out not with haste. You will not go out in flight, for the Lord is before you. So you should not go out in haste. I recently watched Home Alone. If, if you've ever seen that mighty Christmas movie, you will know that the mother forgot. Kevin, there was a, a cop who was poised as a criminal trying to figure out which houses he was robbing. He was just trying to talk to a parent. The house was in such disarray. Kids were running around everywhere. Kevin gets upset with his mom. He is forced to sleep away from everyone. The power in their community goes out. The alarm clock doesn't work, so everyone sleeps in. They have an early flight to Paris. You see them going out in haste. They go out in such haste that they forget Kevin. There was a neighbor's kid that was amongst all the kids that would go with them to Paris. So the neighbor's kid was counted in the eleven. They went out in haste, but this was not how Israel was to leave. It says, if you were exiled in Babylon, God tells you to leave. I'm sorry. If you were exiled in Babylon and God tells you to leave, I'm sure we would want to do this quickly. I would have been tempted to leave quickly. But God is telling his people not to leave like panicky fugitives, but to go in confidence. It says that God will be your rear guard in the latter part of verse 12. God will be your escort. Be not in fear of the enemy attacking you from behind. The rear is generally where weaker people and more feeble people are, but the Lord is guarding them. The Lord is there protecting their blind side like a left tackle does in football or as a blind spot detector does on some vehicles. God is doing that so that Israel will be in utmost safety as they march out of Babylon with the greatest ease and freedom without any disturbance. That is our call today. We are not to live our lives like panicky fugitives, but like people who have God as a rear guard, not moving frantically like we missed an alarm because God reigns and he is with us. As we approach the end of our time together, remember that God will redeem a people to reach the nations through the messianic king. This figure that I talked about earlier is introduced in those chapters 49 and 55. He will fulfill God's mission as Israel failed to do. They fail to be a light to the nations, but God's servant will do this. This servant is given the title Israel. By God's spirit, he announces God's kingdom over all the nations. As Isaiah wrote, and we now know that this servant, this suffering servant that will be beaten is Jesus. Isaiah 9 and 6 says, he shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah 11 and 3 says that he shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but the righteousness, righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with his breath and the breath of his lips, and he shall kill the wicked." Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. 
This servant will be rejected, beaten, and killed by his own people. He will be beaten and killed, and his death will be an atonement for the sins of the people. Isaiah and his prophetic disciples wrote this book some 700 years before Jesus We now know that Isaiah is writing about Jesus. Isaiah, inspired by God, writes about Jesus, who will be the greater watchman. Jesus is the perfect watchman. Jesus always reminds his father of the promises he made for his people. And Jesus is the king who will arrive to judge and make right all things. Jesus invites us to be a part of his mission to reach a global and diverse city with the gospel. We are invited to be the light to the nations and our neighbors by living out the great commission, making disciples of all nations, and the great commandment, loving God with our whole hearts, minds, and soul, and loving our neighbors as ourselves. The suffering servant written about in Isaiah 53 is Jesus It says that he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Verse 10 of Isaiah 53 says that it was the will of the Lord to crush him. The one who was crushed was God sent. Not sent to condemn the world, but that the nations through the messianic King Jesus might be saved. The God-man, really God, really man, really divine, lives a perfect life, dies in the place of sinners, intentionally absorbs the wrath of God against those who believe in him. God takes away all of our guilt. He absorbs our sin. And Jesus, this messianic king, rises from the day, triumphant over death, hell, and Satan. He ascends, rules with power on high, and Jesus will come again. Come again, giving eternal life to those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus. So God is using his redeemed people in Houston and the world to reach the nations with the gospel message of the Messianic King Jesus. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for Jesus. God, as Isaiah wrote some 700 years before about a servant that will be beaten and killed, His sin and the sin of us being absorbed by him. He was sinless. He was perfect. Living the perfect life. Dying the death that we deserved. Jesus is our righteousness. Jesus gave us something that we did not have. God, would you help us to be neighborly to reach our nations with the gospel? to reach our neighbors with the gospel. I pray that we would get to share our faith with someone soon. God, set up divine opportunities for us to be able to share who Jesus is. Jesus, who loved me, who loved us while we were yet sinners, died for us so that we might spend eternity with the God of the universe. Amen.